I didn't freaking do this. I did not do this crime. There were two other males walking around in that house bleeding, and we have no idea who they are. And nobody's even tried to figure it out. We want to get some information about who these guys were. DNA does a lot, but people do. William Shiflett died of a heart attack in December of 2018 at the age of 59. At the time of his death, he was incarcerated at Greensville Correctional Center, the largest prison in the state of Virginia, where he was serving a life sentence for the gruesome stabbing of a homeless man in 1985. His name has been mentioned for years as a possible suspect in the murders of Derek and Nancy Haysom. His son, Will Shiflett, was also incarcerated at Greensville. We met with him in early February, hoping to get some information about his deceased father. Will told us he knew his father had been named as a possible suspect in the Hasem murders by Yen Soaring's team, and he wanted to clear his father's name. When William Shiflet died, an autopsy was performed, and a blood sample was included in the final report. It was stored at the medical examiner's office in Richmond. When we found out about the blood sample in late March, Will Shiflet gave us permission to test his father's DNA. The process was complicated and involved Will signing a form for the medical examiner to release the sample. Once Will had signed that form, had it notarized, and mailed it back to us, the medical examiner's office in Richmond mailed Shiflet's blood sample to a lab in Oklahoma where a DNA analysis was performed. A week later, we received an email from the lab with a PDF attachment. It was titled, Genetic Profile of William Shiflet. It showed three columns with letters and numbers, impossible for anyone but a scientist to make sense of. We forwarded it to Dr. Tom McClintock, the DNA expert at Liberty University, who had the DNA report from the Haysom crime scene and could perform the comparison. Comparing the drifter's DNA to the crime scene evidence is something Yen's team has been requesting the state do for years, and Dr. McClintock understood the significance of the moment. When we sent him Shiflet's DNA report on a Saturday in late May, he didn't waste any time. When I got your email, I was outside mowing, dropped everything, and came inside and went through the whole analysis. Type O blood from a male was found at the crime scene at the Haysom home in 1985. Yen Soaring has type O blood, and that was used to convict him at his trial. Type AB blood from a male was also found in the kitchen near Nancy Hasem's body. But when the Virginia Department of Forensic Science conducted DNA testing on several blood samples from the crime scene years later, none of the DNA matched Yen's. Because both unidentified DNA samples had a Y chromosome, which is only present in males, Yen supporters and experts like Dr. McClintock say that strongly suggests two unidentified men were bleeding at the crime scene, one with type O blood, the other with type AB blood. Derek Hasem, the victim, had type A blood, which left a mystery. Who were the unidentified men that bled at the scene? Throughout our investigation, we were trying to rule out who that mystery type O and type AB blood belonged to because we could find no evidence of the drifter's blood types in police or court records. We asked Will about his father's blood type. Do you know what your dad's blood type is? Yes, it's O positive. I'm O negative. 
His answer made us more curious, but because type O blood is so common, we knew we had to test the DNA to know for sure if William Shiflett was the source of the type O blood in the Haysom house. It's a question that could have been easily answered years ago. Shiflett's DNA is in the state DNA databank because he was convicted of another murder. But Bedford County is the only jurisdiction with the authority to run the comparison of the DNA and the databank to the Haysom crime scene evidence. And as far as we knew, that never happened. But 11 years after that DNA report was released, and more than a year after William Shiflett's death, we had his son's permission to use the DNA from his autopsy for a comparison to the unidentified DNA found at the crime scene. Dr. McClintock gave us the results in a Zoom call. I don't have good news to report. Um, There is not a match between Mr. Shiflett's DNA in any of the DNA that was found or at least uh, analyzed in the 2009 report. We'd spent months working toward this moment, and McClintock knew this answer would leave us with more questions. He'd put together a PowerPoint presentation to help us understand how he'd arrived at that conclusion. I cobbled together these charts to do a side-by-side comparison of the DNA profiles. So if you look in the left column, Under sample, uh, those, of course, are the evidentiary samples that were collected back years ago. And you have Soaring's DNA profile, you have Elizabeth Hasten's, and then you have Shiflet. We could see the samples and the corresponding numbers, and McClintock explained how you compare the DNA and how the results eliminate Shiflet. What an analyst will do is look at the known reference samples. So we can start with Shiflet. You can see at the first site, FGA, he is a 2122. That's his allelic profile at that locus. And when you go from bottom to top to compare his profile to the others, I think you would all agree that he is different. McClintock, who was hired by Yen's team to do the DNA comparison in 2016, had known for weeks that Shiflet's DNA analysis was coming, and we asked him how he felt when he saw it wasn't a match. I was bummed out. I'm telling you, my lawn's hurting this morning because, man, I ran that mower over. I was really frustrated. Dr. McClintock's explanation of the DNA made sense. We could see Shiflet's DNA didn't match the sample of the unknown male. But knowing that did nothing to address our most pressing new question. If it wasn't William Shiflett's DNA, whose was it? The last time we had interviewed Jens, he was still in prison in Virginia. By the time we had the DNA results, he'd been paroled and living in Germany for six months. We wondered how he'd react to the news that we had obtained one of the drifters' DNA and that it didn't match the unknown samples. His legal team had cited them as possible suspects in his 1996 appeal. And there's a chapter about the drifters in Yen's book, A Far, Far Better Thing. We set up a Zoom call with Yen's and his attorney, Steve Rosenfield, to share the new information. We told them we'd tracked down the son of one of the drifters and that we hadn't stopped there. The second thing that we have been able to do in the past couple months is obtain an official DNA sample of William Shiflett's, and we had that compared to the DNA evidence left at the crime scene, and it's not a match. Okay. 
The only visible reaction to the news was an eyebrow raised from Jens. Steve's expression didn't change. What the DNA test results say to me is that um, Shiflet did not bleed at the crime scene. Um, you know, and that, you know, that's interesting, but it doesn't really say that much. It, it doesn't eliminate him. Um, it, it just says that he wasn't injured. It, it says that he was not injured. Right. So. Right. Jens quickly offered an alternate theory about who might be the source of the DNA. He suggested it wasn't the drifters, William Shiflett and Robert Albright, who helped Elizabeth Hasem kill her parents, but her drug dealer and friend from the University of Virginia, Jim Farmer, whose father was a judge in Lynchburg, and family friends with the Hasems. I know Chip and Richard favor the Shiflett and Albright theory. Um... I've always favored the Jim Farmer theory plus persons unknown. I just, who the hell knows? I mean, he may have gone there with Shifflin Albright if he knew them because he was in the Lynchburg drug scene too. I, you know, then, it, you know, I just freaking don't know because I wasn't there. Jim Farmer passed away a few years ago, but his parents told retired investigators Chip Harding and Richard Hudson that Jim had type A negative blood, which, if true, would rule him out as a source of any blood at the crime scene. Chip and Richard have taken a hard look at the case in recent years and believe Jens is innocent. We were curious to hear what they thought the new DNA comparison meant for the investigation. So at any rate, when you talk about where do you go from here, Obviously, Albright, we know it's not Shiflet. We don't know what Albright's blood type is. I guess, I don't even know. Um, there's no way to get a sample from him. We asked him we for today. The other drifter, Robert Albright, had declined our request for an interview when we first reached out to him in January. He's serving a life sentence for the murder of the homeless man. But after we got the DNA results eliminating Shiflet, we wrote to him again to share the news. Would you be willing to submit your DNA for comparison, we wrote. It would allow us to say both of you were tested and clear your name. Albright wrote back, I got your email and I would be willing to give you my DNA to clear my name. He would need to request his DNA be collected. And we emailed him instructions on how to start the process. In recent weeks, he's emailed us to let us know he's working on it. But with the prison on partial lockdown due to the pandemic and inmates' access to email and phone limited, getting those results could take months. Since then, he's checked in a few times. And in a follow-up email, we also asked him to tell us his blood type and if he'd reconsider our request for a phone interview. He hasn't responded to those questions. When we received the DNA results from Dr. McClintock, eliminating William Shiflett as the source of the blood, the very first person we told was Will, Shiflett's son, who had made the DNA testing possible. Will had always said he wanted to clear his father's name, but he had taken us on a wild ride with his stories, especially claiming there were letters between his father and Elizabeth Hasem and telling us his daughter Samantha would give them to us. Court records, of course, revealed Samantha wasn't a real person, by the time we realized the letters probably weren't real either, we were waiting on the DNA results. Once we got them, we needed to have one more conversation with Will. 
So we do have, we did get the DNA results. Okay. And your dad um, was a, not a match for any of the samples that were at the scene. Well, that's good. Well, that's good, dude. We also told him we had uncovered the truth about Samantha in the court records. So there, there is a couple of other things I wanted to bring up with you because, you know, we've been just finishing, finishing our investigation, trying to fact check everything. And so one of the things that we discovered when we have been checking things is that, I guess, according to court records anyway, Samantha is, doesn't exist. Samantha does exist. So, okay, so why, why would it say that, that she doesn't exist? Court documents from Will's criminal file show prosecutors had a similar experience, trying to get Will to admit Samantha wasn't real. Will had used the Samantha persona to connect with teenage girls online. But even after prosecutors exposed his lies about Samantha, he continued to act as if she was real, even reaching out to one of his victims to let her know Samantha was okay. Will also insisted that the house he had sent us to for the letters belonged to his grandmother, even when we told him the relative who lived there denied it and said there were no letters. Well, that is so weird. Um, That's weird. All right. Well, I just um, I just wanted to um, bring those things up because you know we were we came across them and you know just didn't match with the things that we'd been um, talking to you about. It quickly became clear there was going to be no resolution with Will. We thanked him for allowing us to test the DNA and hung up. Will seems to have lied about a lot of things, but there were some crazy stories that we could verify, including the hit on Jens. On our call with Jens, we asked him if he remembered Will Shiflet from prison or had heard about the hit on him that Will had described. Yeah, we were in the same prison, but, um, you know, and we could have... It, it would have been possible to have contact with each other, right? Because there's always ways of doing things. But I, it's just, I don't want to talk to that guy. My lawyer pointed the finger at his dad. So potentially, he'd want to kill me, right? So I, I had no interest in actually being in the same room with that dude because I didn't know how, how he felt about my lawyers pointing a finger at his father potentially he wanted to kill me so he claimed that you, you two did meet and that you actually um that that his father had a um a hit on you um and that um i've heard that i, I heard i don't know if that's true i've heard that yeah okay so um so that's one thing he said but then he said that you and he had a conversation where you became workout partners give me off partner um no, I had no workout partners. Okay, I've n- the last time I had workout partners was in the 1990s. The longer I was in prison, the less contact with other prisoners I really wanted. 
While the DNA test showed Shiflet wasn't a match, the circumstantial evidence against the drifters still made a lot of sense to us. Shiflet and Albright had been picked up hitchhiking in Bedford days after the Hayson murders, and they'd committed another stabbing a week later. Investigators, including Chuck Reed, one of the original detectives on the case, agreed. I mean, you know, you got two individuals at that particular time that close within 15 miles or so of the area. And plus, when I made the statement that, well, I was in Lynchburg visiting a girl or a girlfriend, it made a lot of sense that it was very, very possible. And Dr. McClintock says the drifter's involvement in the Hasem murder isn't entirely ruled out, even though the DNA test eliminated Shiflet. If I was on the stand testifying, I would say of all these samples that were analyzed, he's excluded. However, there are other samples that could be considered for testing. But that would be trying to find the truth. And I don't think Bedford County is going to release those samples. Investigators working on Yen's behalf believe there are 200 pieces of evidence from the Hasem crime scene that have never been tested for DNA and could offer more information about who was there that night. But Bedford officials say they don't believe additional DNA testing would be conclusive. Even though he's now a free man, living in Germany and starting a new life, Jens remains committed to proving his innocence, and he hopes the identity of the two men will someday be revealed. We don't know yet who they are. Maybe one day we'll discover it. I hope so. Um, I'm not sure we're ever going to find out. I would really like to. He also believes the state of Virginia missed an opportunity to get to the truth by releasing both him and Elizabeth on parole at the same time and by not exonerating him. I wish they would have given me a pardon and kept Elizabeth and put pressure on her to tell, you know, if, if they had told her, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go to Canada, we'll let your boyfriend go, we'll let you go back to Canada if you give up the names, right? I wish they'd done that. I really wish they'd done that. But they decided to go another way with this case. And I can understand why they did that. I just, I think that was, that was the big chance if, if they had given me even a conditional pardon and then use that to pressure her to give up the names in, in, in exchange for parole for her. And they decided not to. And uh, yeah, that's my feeling. How does Elizabeth feel about this? There are many questions we've wanted to ask her since we first reached out to her by letter last year when she was still in prison in Virginia. She wrote back to us declining our request for an interview. And in November, she was paroled and spent months in an ICE detention center before being deported to Canada. Since that time, we've had no way to reach out again. But that changed when we found a woman who's been close to Elizabeth since her arrest in the 1980s and who recently spent time with her. Next on Small Town, Big Crime. She wants to get on with her life. She feels she served her debt to society, and she'll be the first one to tell you that she was involved, she was, you know, that she, she's a criminal, because she knew what Yens was capable of when he left D.C. 
she knew and she feels guilt because she didn't call her parents and say he's coming. Hi, this is Courtney Stewart. If you're enjoying this podcast and appreciate our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon. This type of investigative journalism is labor-intensive and expensive. Rachel and I are working on a new case for season two, and we can't do it without your help. Check out our Patreon page, Small Town, Big Crime. Hi, this is Rachel Ryan. When Courtney and I first started our podcast, we found the perfect place to work and network, Common House in Charlottesville. Now people in cities across the country and even around the world can benefit from a Common House membership. With other locations in Richmond and Chattanooga, Tennessee, thousands of creative types, entrepreneurs, and other professionals like you are finding a social club that helps them make new connections, both personal and professional. Each location offers gorgeous, comfortable spaces for conversation, quiet spots for working, and tons of planned activities that spark conversation and networking. A Common House membership also comes with global benefits. You'll get access to dozens of clubs around the world, from San Francisco to London to Auckland to Singapore. Don't just take our word for it. Come check out Common House yourself. And if you spot us there, say hello.